That's my favorite spirit that they produce. They're the only, uh, uh, I believe, uh, the only brand available with the curado de víbora. It's that rattlesnake, sotol. And that's really the, the one I really enjoy. We put it three months to rest in an oak barrel and we infuse it with rattlesnake venom. We just put it there for um, three months just for the venom to, to lose the toxic properties. And so we can export it into the U.S. It has 1.5 to 3 mils of uh, rattlesnake venom for every 20 liters. So you put that uh, into the barrique for it to rest. And of course, the alcohol kills the protein. So it's not toxic anymore, but still when you drink it, your body reacts to it, right? Uh, because it's still identified as a toxin, but it's not, it's not deadly anymore. So there is rattlesnake venom in this bottle. I, wow. This is... Oh, this is amazing. That's interesting. It is interesting. And these oak barrels were also used for some, before they were used for Satol, they were used for some other spirit before? Or they are new oak barrels? New? Brand new? No, it, it's a 40-year-old barrique. We only have one. And when Nisag was telling you guys the story about, you know, Al Capone getting involved in Juarez, the, the northern Chihuahua city, to open a distillery... This distillery operated until 1988 or so, and they started selling their bricks, their barrels. So we bought one and we were lucky enough to get a, a hold of a, of a good one because they, they start getting old cricket, you know, because they're, they're very, very old over, over uh, four to five decades. And yeah, this is the one we use. You can think of it as, as neutral oak because it has no flavor, no uh, scent what's whatsoever. Cool, man. And we only put it there for the venom to lose, you know, effect <laughs> on you. <laughs> Just to make it able for human consumption. Holy shit. Um, <laughs> this is amazing information. Wow. I'm glad you like it. The local ethnic, they're called Tarahumaras. And they're uh, long distance runners because the situation is it's so bad there. They don't have money for, don't even a horse. Don't even think of a horse, not even a donkey. So uh, they do everything on foot. And being the largest state in Mexico, well, you have to travel six to eight hours running from one ranch to another. And that's how they do it. They have a sip of sotol. They drink a little ground corn with cinnamon and other spices. That's called pinole. I don't know if you, you have heard of it, Diego. I, I have. So just have a fistful of pinole and a sip of sotol and they can run for hours. It's, it's crazy. So during these runs, they get bitten a lot by rattlesnake because we do, we do get a lot of rattlesnakes in, in Chihuahua. And they drink their, uh, their sotol curated with a rattlesnake because the more you get exposed yourself to the venom, the more immunity you start developing. Of course, you will still die if a rattlesnake bites you, but at least you'll have, instead of the regular 60 minutes before you die, you'll have probably a couple hours in order for you to get to the hospital and, you know, get medical help. It sounds funny. Uh, it's not funny, but it's... it's yeah, it's, it's, it's out of this world. I understand <laughs> your face, the face you're making, Albert. I, I, it was exactly my face when I was listening to this story for the first time. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. You guys actually drink the rattlesnake venom mm -hmm. for you to develop immunity? And they're like, yeah. Yeah. And it also tastes good. Here, have a sip. And they pour yourself and you're like, oh. Oh my goodness. How do you make this? <laughs> yeah, it's a long time tradition there. Uh, the local aid was influenced by the Chinese The Asian contact that we have in, in Chihuahua, Asia brought their, their techniques. And, you know, they like to throw their stuff there, you know, scorpions and snakes. And they believe in all sorts of, uh, you know, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. what do you call this? Like uh, aphrodisiac properties. Penis wine. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's how they call it? 
we don't fall for that, but we really uh, believe it, it was going to be a, a commercial success. And it is. Right now, it's uh, not only Saks' favorite, but most people's favorite because it's... It's also special, you know? It's, it's something that awakens your curiosity. Like I'm, I'm glad you use that word because we, we always talk about that, uh, that awakening. When, when you try Sotol the first time, I'm sure, I'm sure Isaac was sipping a, a neat Sotol when he say, hey, I, I got to develop my own brand and I got to make something out of this. Because it's it's an awakening, it's it's inspiring. Being such a mezcal lover myself, when I first drink Sotol, I was blown away by it. And I thought of bringing it to Mexico City. Why, why is this not in Mexico City like 10 years ago? It's just so good and so unique. And then they start pulling out the rare stuff like the rattlesnake venom. And they also do one, do you know of uh, pechuga? Have you heard of pechuga mezcal? Mm. The one that's made with a uh, turkey breast. Yeah. Uh, and in Chihuahua, they use a deer chest. So they hang it from the Montera in the uh, copper steel. Or Sotol. Sotol, yes. And they make a, a triple distill. It's Sotol de Pechuga. They call it Pechuga too? Uh, no, it's Sotol de Venado. It's called Carne with, uh, with, uh, with an eye. Carne. Carne. Just like carne, like meat, but with an eye at the end. So that's the local name for it, Carne. And it means uh, like a festive kind of Sotol. So it has spices and fruits and, and, the, and the deer chest. And it's very, very special. They distill it uh, three times. They start with this and they hang the deer chest and the fruit and the spices and they uh, distill it once more. So it's a triple distill. You get a very, very particular texture, very, very oily texture. Awesome. Very rich. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Welcome to Elixir of the Gods. My name is Albert. Hello. And with me, as always, Diego. Hello. And uh, you just heard something about this episode that actually was not part of the podcast but we continued talking after after we recorded the show and we found it so interesting this rattlesnake story that uh, we wanted to put it on front of the podcast too in a way to surprise you it was such an interesting story our guests today you heard them on the podcast a little bit some in better quality some in worse quality unfortunately as it always is in, in these times now where we have to be remotely. Uh, we have uh, Isaac Montes and Sergio Gonzalez. They are both uh, representing Sotol. It was a very interesting podcast, this one we recorded with them, because I don't know how much you, our listeners, uh, know about Sotol, but once you are speaking to a Sotol Conoza, you see so many differences and, and, and so many interesting things that you should be listening to. We want to record some more uh, stuff on Sotol now that we have had the first one. So we, we have found how ignorant we are on the subject, you know. So that's, that was the, the best part, I think, about this, this chapter. We were enlightened on, on, on how much knowledge we're lacking. Exactly. And it's always good to know when you're ignorant. Isaac reached actually out on Facebook and said, hey, guys, you should do an episode on Sotol and you should invite me. And I couldn't deny his request. And it was a very good decision because we learned a lot and... Isaac, if you listen to this, thanks again for inviting yourself in a way and bringing Sergio along. I hope it was not our last conversation and we can do another another chapter with you guys. Uh, enjoy. This is, as we know, our final chapter. Maybe Diego and I do a similar one as we did on the first chapter. But if this is the end, thanks for listening. Thanks for staying with us on season three in this crazy times. We're gonna hibernate or not hibernate, but we're gonna work <laughs> on some new content in for season four. And exactly. as you see, it can take us all year 
year to to get this content together and we don't know how the situation will evolve but hopefully a couple more chapters. we do our best guys we do our best to to, to gather uh the best information we can share is not just about having a show it's f at least for us it's it's about having interesting information to share with you guys without further ado isaac montes sergio gonzalez diego and albert having a conversation and some sotolitos and some car that hit the, the yeah, telephone man, pole <laughs> <laughs> we had some, we had some yeah. again we had some audio issues but we hope you still will enjoy the content of this show enjoy From Mexico, we have Isaac Montes from Casa Montes Sotol, right? If uh, I hope I spelled your name right, Isaac. Perfect, perfect. Welcome to the show. And we have Sergio Gonzalez. He's a co-founder of Flor del Desierto Sotol. You got it right. You're killing it, Albert. <laughs> Very good, man. Yeah. <laughs> Let the one who is, has not uh, Spanish as his native language say all the Spanish names. But so, so <laughs> that's the level of professionality that we have here. Exactly. Um, where are you guys? You are in Chihuahua, as, as I understand. So Sergio's in Mexico City, uh, the capital, I believe, now. But he's from the same home, um, home city or hometown as myself which is Juarez, which is uh, practically a border city across uh, from El Paso, Texas. If you can, uh, you know, put that, that geography in your mind, uh, the most west part of Texas. And if you go south, uh, you're in Juarez. As the uh, denomination of origin states, the three official states for the production of Sotol are the three northernmost states of the Mexican Republic, which are Chihuahua, Coahuila, and Durango. So these three states, not because we are located there, but because I honestly believe, and I think Isaac will agree, Chihuahua produces not the most quantity, but the best quality for sure. But we love it due to its, its large extension, it's, it's, it's producing the largest quantity right now. But uh, as far as quality goes, I really believe uh, Chihuahua has uh, much to offer to the, to, to the spirits world. So um, yes, uh, both places are located in, in Chihuahua, different sites depending on what, what, what kind of Soto plan you're looking for. And uh, I think that's a good way to start. I think about the origin, the plant, which is sometimes confused with an agave due to its uh, resemblance. They, they pretty much look alike in Escadin. And that resemblance makes people believe uh, they're related, but in fact, they're not. And like Sergio was saying, Culturally, Sotol is, is very ingrained in Chihuahua. You know, even though it was the Mexican government has a legacy of repression against uh, Sotol, in which they used to kill Sotoleros and destroy the Vinatas. The Vinatas are the distilleries where Sotol was made. So it was only uh, in 94 in which the Mexican government stops considering Sotol production as illegal, the same as Bacanora the same year. You know, if you look at it in a historical context, that's the reason why the industry is so small and barely in its infancy is because there was a long legacy of repression and uh, and making sure that the, the, the Sotol industry as a whole did not grow. So, you know, it's uh, the DO 2002. It's very recent. So, you know, we're very happy to be part of this new era of Sotoleros. You know, in my case, no family connection to, to the industry. Just kind of have always loved Sotol and, and always wanted to be a part of the industry. And that's the reason that we decided to to launch formally this year. Uh, what a year to launch a, <laughs> a brand, right? During a hundred year pandemic uh, that only happens once every 100 years. Um, but I mean, we're very committed to the industry and to our project. And we are not in Europe. We're a small company. 
Uh, we're a very small batch boutique, and we're only in Mexico as of now, working uh, right now to get to the U.S. and and then hopefully Europe uh, soon in the next couple of years. This knowledge that that Total is actually not related to agave. It's not known for many years. Is is that correct? That's why uh, the denomination of origin was pushed because we we realized we have something unique in front of us, and we had to let the world know about it. So that's something we really wanted to enhance. And and I think uh, as a category, you know, Total as a whole is, is deliver delivering it. How long ago did they found out that the plant was different from agave? Uh, the denomination of origin dates back to 2002. So uh, way back then, early 70s, German scientists uh, went there, especially to Chihuahua, and started uh, classifying all the different plant varieties. Okay. And that's why you'll see uh, on our labels, you'll see different origins, therefore different plants. But they're all called Sotol. In English, they're known as Desert Spoon. But it's widely known as Sotol. Uh, that's the name of the plant, and that's the name of the spirit that the plant yields. Okay, so so we know since the 70s that the Sotol is not an agave since the 70s, or this uh, is even even before that. But uh, only until the uh, 1971, it was when it was uh, classified by by uh, German scientists. Okay, okay, those Germans, man, fucking Tequilana Weber is the same thing. Same thing, right? <laughs> we are not sure about it yet because. Uh, He's French German, but I mean, dude, he's from the from the grenzes. So. <laughs> yeah. So Weber was in an area that was partly German and partly French, and so some say he's German and some say he's French. We said both on our show that he's German and French, but uh, yeah, yeah, he's registered as French. So it's always the Europeans who we like to to have things in order, you know, yeah, like classify exactly. Yeah, we like to classify things. Yeah. And we appreciate it because we, we can now speak about different uh, terroirs and different plant species that, that give very different results. Tequila, mezcal, and sotol being the, the most popular. Uh, you really have a category standing apart with sotol because it's the only one that made that made up uh, of an agave. Because Diego and I feel more comfortable in the in the agave maguey world, so we probably will always draw a couple of connections. I hope you don't get uh, too annoyed with that. No. One of my first questions is, Why is it that the Sotoleros were persecuted and hunted by the government, whereas mezcal industry or, or tequila industry uh, didn't have the problem? Is it they did? Bacanora did, and, and mezcal did. Tequila didn't because they there was a situation where they got a permit and they paid taxes and they avoided this prosecution because they were big enough already. Just to clarify, so it was the famous Lutarcolias Calles law is, is how they we describe it in our industry. Uh, he was the president of Mexico and uh, and was under the idea that um, that alcohol. He, I mean, he tried to ban Bacan or he did ban Bacanora when he was the governor of Sonora. Um, but to answer the question is really the the 20th century was very aggressive towards uh, Sotoleros after that law that I was telling you about. So prior to uh, the revolution and to prohibition in the U.S., Sotol was very popular in, in Chihuahua. It was actually something that was very well established and, and the U.S. prohibition kicks in and the distillers on the border to satisfy the U.S. markets substituted the production of clandestine whiskey instead of Sotol. So, you know, you might have heard of the straight American whiskey, which was a very popular uh, whiskey on the Mexican side that was contrabanded into the U.S. by Italian mafia. Uh, so that also hurt the industry a lot. The fact that uh, the people that were making Sotol in Chihuahua substituted the Sotol production for whiskey production. 
that would have been my next question is like the close uh, closeness to the american border did that have anything to do with that situation and it seems like it did yeah absolutely 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 yeah i mean uh, if you if you put it into a into an everyday context take, take the war on drugs that we're currently uh facing uh, if you think of sotol back back in the day right after prohibition much of the production crossed the border to mexico the american production started feeding itself from uh, Mexican sources. So Sotol was a, was, a, was a big mistake because it will hurt the industry that Isaac was discussing about Italian mafia, you will, you will expect. It's, it's just like uh, prohibition uh, bringing an endless pursuit to producers. And they, they will go there and uh, if you talk to them, they will tell you stories about them being, you know, seven, eight years old and, and hiding in the bushes with, with a rifle. You know, a little, a little kid that doesn't even know how to use it, but his dad will handle it to him because... You got to run for your life, literally. Just like this, I was mentioning, is it's very important for us to pay respect to to those traditions and and to not let it die. Just just like uh, uh, contemporary restaurants are rescuing, uh, or if not rescuing, reinterpreting moles and all of our you know very complex sauces. Just like that, we have to be part of the gastronomy because you cannot think of it as separate things. So if you think of Mexican gastronomy. This is part of it, and this is what we like to to tell the world. This is not all about tequila. It's not all about mezcal. There are uh, serious fits there that are leading the way. Back in December, we were recognized by the La Rue du Vin from Paris as one of the 10 gems to look out uh, for in 2020. So we were there with uh, alongside with special editions of Glenn Morangie, single malts, and, and things like that. So... For us, it's, it's just something that uh, we, we really expected it because that's where we want to position our, our very special spirit. You can have, you, you got to stop thinking of it as a, as a very precarious thing and it's not prohibited by law anymore. We are doing all, all within our hands to state a law that has, that has regulated us as a whole, as a category. We have produced uh, something that uh, mezcal and tequila are very jealous of. Because of its pristine uh, flavors and, and, and nuances, it's, it's something very unique. So we really want to showcase this to the world and tell them, yes, we were expecting this. Because when Isaac uh, thought of jumping into the industry, something that he, he always wanted, he was thinking of, you know, positioning his bottles in the best restaurants and, you know, uh, sharing it with people that like scotch, for instance, because you know how, how special it is. Just think of it, how long will it take for a, for a support plant to grow and, and be mature before it can get cut to, to be produced into a spirit? You have to wait sometimes even to 22 years in the Sierra Hills, you know, up in the mountains. So if you think of it, whiskey, you can even have two crops a year, sometimes, you know, yeah. if, you, if you do the right thing. This is all wild harvested and, and you have to go out there and find it. So... It's that special. It takes a couple of decades to grow, and we are sure that the success makes sense, you know, to be compared to, to very special single malts or, uh, or very unique uh, cognacs. Now you have made me really thirsty, uh, Sergio. So <laughs> we have two samples of your brand. So which one should we start with? We have the Desierto and we have the Sierra. We will start with uh, Desierto, which is the um, white label. The white label, mm -hmm. okay. The Leofilum. Correct. Okay. Why do we start with this category? Because uh, I think it's the one that best represents the Sotol category as a, as a whole, maybe. Uh, it has uh, some smokiness to it that the rest of them don't really have. 
This is produced in the central part of the state of Chihuahua, near the capital city. It's called Chihuahua, and the place uh, where it's produced, it's called Aldama. In this place, they like to follow their tradition and drink it in small clay pot, little jars. And it's very nice because you get this this very uh, earthy flavor that you do get out of the spirit mm-hmm. itself. It's really nice, man. If you think of it in simple terms, we have different climates, different altitudes in Chihuahua. Chihuahua is the largest state in, in Mexico. Therefore, we have all the way from desert to high mountain. Mm-hmm. This uh, spirit here comes from the, the hottest parts of the state, you know, where you find sand dunes, where, the, where you have the very sandy soils. So you get a very clean expression of what sotol is. It's delicious. So if you bring it close to your nose, you'll find uh, mainly that it's, it's a spirit made 100% out of sotol sugars. Because the denomination of origin, just like um, in tequila, allows us to use up to 49% of other sugars. And okay. for dishonest producers, other sugars can mean anything, right? We source our spirits from 100% basilidium or sotol plants. Therefore, when you can get it close to the nose, the first thing you get is that plant scent. Very, very green, very okay. wet, maybe when it starts to rain. Uh, I think we lost Isaac. Let's see if he joins us again. Okay. I want to ask you something, Sergio. So the rule, the denomination states that you can call it Sotol with a 49% other sugars. Right. Yeah. Then what do you call? Then you call it like tequila, tequila 100%, or tequila 100%, and Sotol 100% when it's only made out of sereke or what? We just mentioned it in our uh, labels, stating that uh, we do not use any other sugars okay. and we do not source our plants from harvested plants. It's all wild Sotol. So you have to go find it uh, in the either the desert or the mountain. Okay, okay. I did not know that the, the, the rule also allowed for 49. That's not a good idea. Uh, if you think of it, that's exactly how tequila and most mezcals are made. It's just uh, a matter of ethics, I believe. If you're a serious drinker, uh, if you like uh, Mexican spirits, you can tell right away when something is made, uh, you know, in a dishonest way. So um, I don't think I, I, I sorry, I'm very liberal for this. And I don't think it's dishonest to put 49. If you're allowed, it's not dishonest. It's just the way. And of course, there is a million margaritas being done every day. So you, you're not going to use a good tequila, a tequila that really took the blood and sweat from somebody for a margarita. So it's okay to have those shitty tequilas in the market. And some sotoles that maybe make a beautiful cocktail, but they're 49 other sugars. You know, I don't think it's... I wouldn't use the, the word dishonest, sorry, that I interrupted for this. I would just say it's not for serious drinking, that's for sure. It's not for sipping and blah, 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 and, and, and for this degustación. No, it's not for that. But I think if you're allowed, I mean, you're allowed. And most people... in I'm going to say a brand of almost, but in Chile's, they go and eat some wings, buffalo wings, you know, and some margaritas. Do you think those guys are paying attention to the quality of the tequila? They don't really care. So why using a really special particular plant to serve somebody who's not paying attention, who wants the effect and the flavor from, you know? You're right, Diego. Let me, yeah. uh, let me rephrase that. By dishonesty, what I mean is when they use mysterious sources for sugars yeah you can use so many things i mean i've seen so many coca-cola porn in in tequila <laughs> that it's disgusting yeah okay. so um you, you really this is kind of a myth and then and then you see it and then you taste it 
and then you develop a palette for it and you can pick it up right away. So sometimes when you try, particularly this type of spirits that you're uh, mentioning that are aiming for the uh, mixing category or the uh, entry-level category, they use so bad quality sugars that uh, sometimes it's just unhealthy. Yeah, absolutely. So that's what I mean by, by dishonesty. When you don't use something that should be there. You know, I understand that the law allows you to use up to 49% of other sugars. But uh, I really believe that when you are trying to showcase a region, a plant, a spirit, you have to make it like concentrated uh, way possible. That's another level, of course. And, and yes, I agree with you. We're aiming to a different category. Uh, I think the very same price point put us apart in different um, categories. But hey, then... You get these bartenders that hand you uh, a margarita made with a uh, very high quality tequila and, and you they just taste it. even better. Exactly. So, yeah, some of the best bars in the world are aiming for this. But you pay also three times for that as for, for a cheap tequila. So, yeah, there are serious drinkers who like a cocktail and then it's important for them to have quality in, in their glass. But others, you know... Yeah, they just want to get drunk. You know how I separate, uh, Albert? Uh, just like you guys have your spirit uh, needs. If you're a, a neat spirit drinker, then you're up to the challenge, right? Because you know our alcohol contents can go uh, well, mm -hmm. well beyond 50. If you're used to it, then yes, that, this category is for you. If not, just like David was mentioning, there's, there's a whole other category that takes advantage of this mysterious uh, sugar sources and... And you can tell the next day. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can tell the next day, definitely, yeah. So, so cheers to you guys. And uh, what cheers. do you think? What do you find? Did you like it? How does it taste? This one, it's not the first time I tried Leiofilum. And uh, I really, really like it. It's very earthy, like very earthy. Mm. That's what I feel strongest. Um, and I think it's it's very masterly crafted. So the maestro, uh, do you call him a maestro in Sotol as well? Maestro Sotolero. That's right, Albert. Maestro Sotolero, you're right. You can tell that, um, you can tell the craftsmanship because it's from a flavor profile. There's nothing punching you down. It's very uh, decent and subtle in the, in the notes. You have the smokiness, you have... Of course, you have the alcohol, you have the earthiness, but it's it's all well balanced in in my view, so... I'm glad you, you point this out because he's Gerardo Ruelas, he's the third uh, Maestro Sotolero uh, generation. Yeah, you, you can really tell uh, when, when a guy has a craft and not just some kind of day job, right? Yeah. When, when they develop a craft and a love and a passion for it that's been passed down from their parents and, and their uh, grandparents, you can really tell, you know, they, they grew uh, carrying these hearts or piñas just like uh, his kids are, are growing right now and are starting to develop a a palate at, I don't know, eight years old, and they're already sipping uh, Sotol. <laughs> it's, it's, it's insane. Yeah. Of course, they just, they just kiss it, right? But, uh, but, the, but they do smell it and they, they taste it mm -hmm. when, it's, when it's still warm out of the uh, Alambic. So I don't know where Isaac went. I hope he's coming back at some point. But I hope he, he comes back, yes. I'm really glad he, he um, uh, came into the market because his, his brand is... Just like uh, Flor del Desierto and Ono, the, or the two brands that we own, they're very quality focused. And, and I think that's what you, sh you should look for. Stay, uh, stay away from, from people that want to take advantage of, of, of the law and, and stick to producers that uh, are just trying to you know, show you something honest. Of course. 
could it be that it could be an advantage uh, with the sugars as well that I, I'm not sure how, how much uh, agave is growing in Chihuahua, but I can imagine that you will find that as well. And I heard that there are sometimes combinations or ensembles that are partly Sotol and partly agave. The law allows for that, right? It still would be a Sotol if the Sotol... Yes. Part... What do you think about that? Is, is that something interesting to explore or are you... Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. That that 49%, uh, like I said, uh, you can source it from other plants, not the selenium, or you can source it straight from raw sugar. Sometimes you taste a mezcal and it tastes more like rum or charanda because you can really taste the, uh, the sugar cane there. There's a saying that mezcal is made of an agave called maguey in, in Mexico. So the maguey dies where, where the sotol thrives. Mm -hmm. So where you get really, really cold temperatures like the ones in the desert or really high temperatures during the day in the desert, agave plants cannot survive because uh, due to uh, drought and also uh, the heat. During the winter, we get at least five or seven inches of snow. And that's something very unique to Mexico because nowhere else in Mexico you get snow except for the very northernmost part of it. That's, that's about it. Uh, the the sotol plants start, start thriving where, where the maguey's uh, die because either due to drought, heat, or cold. Welcome back, uh, Isaac. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Always an issue. <laughs> No, no problem. No, no problem. We, we talked about sugars in Sotol and what's allowed and what should be allowed and what should not be allowed. And uh, Sergio gave us a good overview of that. I understand that you're also doing 100% Sotol plants or Desiderium plants in your product. That is correct. 100%. And a lot of the times, and I don't know if Sergio, I'm sure he uh, probably agrees with this because the, the size of the tequila industry is just so large. And obviously the mezcal industry is exploding now that there is just not enough plant to be able to do 100%. This is one of the dirty little secrets of the industry, right? And, and it's not to speak negatively about our friends in the tequila and the mezcal industry, but we just understand because of the market size to get to the volume and the number and the profit game that the tequila industry has, there is just no way for all of the brands to be 100% agave tequila, tequilana Weber, right? And you can see it both ways. If you're a very purist and you can think that that's, you know, they're, they're cheating the customer in that sense, but it's just uh, the, the, the market space is just so large that there is just no way that you could do it. Uh, with Sotol, maybe we will have that problem in 10 or 15 years in which we're going to have to do the 51% Sotol and then 49% of other sugars. But uh, we're, we're just not there as an industry to have to do that to satisfy uh, the, the customer. Do you have different categories like Ancestral or what's the other one? Uh, not Ancestral. Um, well, Artesanal and Ancestral. Is artesanal, yes, exactly. Just mezcal, mezcal artesanal or mezcal ancestral, yeah. Do you have that in Sotol as well to say, okay, this is an uh, artisanal Sotol? Not as far as the technique goes, Albert. Uh, we just had a classification for ages, the aging of, uh, of, of the spirit, something that uh, I don't particularly uh, enjoy. I like to drink them uh, White. When, when, they're, when they're young. And that's what the, the first category uh, means, joven, so uh, young. And then, uh, just like tequila, you can rest it in, in wood or you can age it in wood for reposado and then you... Yeah. Okay. okay. So, so, I understand there are several varieties of Sotol, of Sereque, of the, the, the Silirion. How many are good for the liquid? How many are good for the juice? 
you're going to think of the yielding, uh, you know, I don't know if you want to take this, Isaac, because you were gone for a while. Yeah, <laughs> to answer and then maybe Sergio can clarify um, some lingering uh, doubts that still uh, might arise. But specifically in, in Chihuahua, and at least if you cut the state of Chihuahua in half and then everything north, uh, the Silirium willeri is, is the plant that yields the, the highest uh, sugars, uh, is what I have been told. And that's the reason that we use uh, that plant. There's, uh, I believe, 14 species, if I'm not mistaken, Sergio. But really... Um, Three or four that are the main staples uh, currently being okay. uh, worked on. On the U.S. side, there's one that's Texanum, and it spreads, obviously, into the Chihuahuan Desert. I'm sure you've heard of the Texas Sotol, right, which is kind of a sensitive subject in, in our industry because they're, they're saying that they're, they're Sotol, and they're saying, well, we're not Sotol, we're Texas Sotol, so we're something different. And then there's Leophilium, Cederosanum, and then Willeri, which is basically the one that we only use. So we don't use an ensemble. We only use one variety for our product. That was another question that I had. Because also in the in the mezcal and tequila industry, this purity, you know, of, of separating a Karwinski from an Espadín, from a Mexicano, from... This is something new. It's a hype. I'm guessing in the Sotol industry, it was the same. Like for the producer or for the old producers, it, it, it was like, what plants did you find? And you put every single plant together and it wasn't always an ensemble, most likely. Correct. You know, they didn't really pay attention. I'm separating Leofilum from Cedrosanum and from Willery. They were like... Put them all in, man. It's like we're making Sotol for the people, you know? So it's like it, it, it didn't have this technicity that it has today. So how long ago did it become something important to separate the plants? Or was it always like that? That's the question. This, these 14 species are classified and it doesn't mean they are, they're all good for Sotol production. Uh, it's all about the yield. If you think about a desert plant, it takes it, it takes longer for it to grow because it has so little water and, and a lot of heat. So uh, the plant concentrates mostly solar energy and then it, it kind of survives on the very, very little water it gets. So it takes a lot for it to grow. If you wait for the plant the exact time, you will get a, a good yield uh, because compared to mezcal, we have a very, very uh, small yield. You can think in the Sierra example, which is the next one we're going to try. It's one piña, one heart, or one cabeza per bottle. Uh, you get one bottle out of, out of, out of each uh, piña. So sometimes it yield. And how much does it weigh? It can weigh up to 18 kilos. If you think of it, it's, it's like a medium lettuce, medium-sized lettuce. So the yield is not so bad, man. Uh, it's For a salmiana, for example, in mezcal, you need... Like 40 kilos. Because you have a very small plant, salmiana tends to grow uh, short, right? So you get a, a small piña. No, salmiana, they make pulque. Salmiana is super big. Okay. That, that specific one. No, it's because it's really dry, that plant. It, okay. It's a plant that's very fiber rich, you know? So aha, you need a lot of kilos for, for a liter. Of course, tequilana Weber, that's why it's so popular. Like you, you're right, of course, espadín, that's why it's so popular because you need 10 kilos for one liter, you know? More or less, um, this is always uh, an average. It's not technical information, but more or less you need 10 kilos. And Sotol yields half. So it's 18 to 20 kilos for one liter. So if you ask a tequilero, they would tell you that's nothing. But if you ask a mezcalero from Salmiana or from the plants that yield really low, okay, the yield is not that bad, I would say. Yeah. But you have a longer time, right? So what's the time, like 15 years yeah. for, for the average? 
18 to 22 years is the average for a, a regular Sotol plant. And answering the question, the, uh, the classification has been there uh, from the early 70s. But like I said, the trend to find these different expressions comes exactly from the dates that you, Diego was mentioning about Karwinski. That's maybe uh, 25, 30 years ago when people started uh, distilling these this plants. Uh, all of this long uh, agapes were used to to fence the, the properties uh, away from, from their neighbors. So uh, as soon as they started uh, distilling it and, and finding a different expression, that's that's how it became popular. And you have these trends. So if you think of it, uh, mostly you'll find Dacilidium willeri in Chihuahua. And then you can, you can look for it in Coahuila and Durango as well with different varieties. But right now, I think the two or three different varieties that uh, we're producing are the ones that, uh, that express the best nuances in this, in this period. Because I, I try, I don't know if you have tried, Isaac, uh, stuff from the western part of the state, from Casas Grandes. And it has a, a different, a very different taste to it, a different flavor. I, I really believe the, the three species we are, we're handling right now, it's probably the best out of the uh, 14 classified ones. No, absolutely. But I think it's a very interesting point that Diego brings up. It's a popular trend right now to obviously put it on the label, the exact variety that you're using. But I think as a consumer, it's fair to say that, that the producer, the person that's selling you the, the product, should let you know exactly the variety uh, that you're drinking and uh, what part of the state it came from. I think it's only fair in our perspective. It's not a trend. But to answer Diego's uh, question, yes, in the past, it was the maestros sotoleros are not people that like to be told what to do. <laughs> so it was just like, bring me all the sotol plants and we're going to make sotol. And that was it. On our end, as uh, as uh, labels, we're, we're trying to constantly fight that battle and it's not easy. I mean, you go and tell an 80-year-old that's been doing it for 60 years this way uh, that, that he's wrong and that he needs to do things differently. It's not a very easy conversation to have. I can imagine. Yes, exactly. Hello, this is Albert. I'm interrupting this chapter at this point, unfortunately. Not because there's nothing more interesting. It's actually very interesting to listen to Sergio and Isaac. But I could not finish the editing part. And so we decided to split it up into two parts. So another part on Sotol is coming as soon as possible, probably in the next week or in the next two weeks. And then there will be also a final chapter with Diego and me to wrap up the season. Thanks for hanging in with us. Thanks for listening. Happy holidays and hear you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Salute.